as much as digital has taken over everything, actors still need props. You know, they still respond to props. They can still react to props. A 3D printer is not going to replace uh, prop builders, but prop builders who know how to use 3D printers are going to replace prop builders who don't. Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. On episode 14, Joseph Coda briefly talks about props and puppets. So does Carlos on episode 29. And this episode, we will be talking specifically about props making with Eric Hart. Eric has been building props and effects for theatre, opera, retail display and other industries since 2003. He's a professor in the Stage Properties Program at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Eric also writes about building props and other things. In fact, he has published two books, The Prop Building Guidebook for Theatre, Film and TV, a bestseller, and The Prop Effects Guidebook, Lights, Motion, Sound and Magic. The third, Prop Building for Beginners, will be published in April 2021. He also co-hosts a podcast on prop making. Eric, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's amazing. You, you can tell you host a podcast because you got the real deal microphone. So <laughs> I do. That was a, the first thing I got. It's like, I need a good microphone. <laughs> Absolutely. Before we get into your work and all of that, like, why props? How did you get into props and, and how, did, how did that start? Yeah, it was a bit of a roundabout journey. My high school didn't have any sort of theater program. We had like uh, a musical every year that we would all act in, but no kind of tech at all. So I didn't really know anything about this world. They would kind of push me to go into engineering because I was good at math and science and they didn't know what to do with the smart kids at the school. So I did about a semester of engineering and realized I did not like it, uh, kind of sampled all the other departments, but I was hanging out with a lot of the theater kids and actually working uh, on some of the shows. And I realized, well, this is what I want to major in, you know, uh, let's do this. I graduated, did some stagehand work, some set construction, just a, a kind of mix of things. And I had some really good uh, mentors who, who told me, you know, uh, you should go to grad school for this if you really want to take it seriously. I was interested in set design. That's kind of what I thought I wanted to do. So I went to grad school uh, at Ohio University, and I ended up in the prop shop with Tom Fiocchi, who's an amazing uh, props instructor, mentor, props builder. He builds swords. He builds everything. And I got a job at the Santa Fe Opera for the first summer in grad school, which is another great uh, amazing props uh, program, prop shop. Randy Lutz, the the mentor there, he just passed away last week. So it's still a little uh, emotional for me, but he was an amazing boss and mentor. And I I kind of finished up that summer like, this is what I want to do. It's props. It's, it's always been props. I just didn't realize it until now because it sort of uh, combined all my love of things, you know, the kind of engineering side of my brain with the art and creative side of my brain, but it was all working with my hands. It wasn't just uh, doing things on the computer. So I ended up leaving grad school before I graduated, kind of tried to figure out my life for a year or so and ended up back in the theater, back at Santa Fe, uh, Actors Theater of Louisville, and eventually uh, moving to New York because my wife, 
then my girlfriend had moved there and I wanted to be with her. And that was where all the theater was happening. So we spent a good number of years in New York, got married there, worked at a whole lot of places. And then I ended up down here in North Carolina because she had gotten a job and we moved down. We always knew that we were eventually going to leave New York City. It's, you know, it takes a lot of energy to be there. And there's some people who love uh, that life and spend, you know, they're lifers, they're there forever. But there's a lot of people who kind of do a few years, uh, sometimes a lot of years, but eventually kind of leave. And uh, North Carolina seemed like a good place to head off to. And, you know, there was a local theater here. I started working there running a prop shop for the first time and a lot of UNCSA professors uh, designed there. So I got to know them. They were aware of me and they eventually they slowly kind of poached me away until they could get me full time there. So uh, really uh, a lot of luck, <laughs> but a, a lot of hard work to kind of get to where I was and where I am. I love that you say that the smart kids do theater. <laughs> uh-huh yep yeah it's uh I thought I wanted to get into film you know that's like uh growing up I was really into all the behind the scenes stuff and I was really excited about film and then I started doing theater and I realized that uh you know there's a lot of different kind of challenges there especially with props it's like you can't just make something and cut the camera and uh have it you know, switch it around or something. You needed to work every time, eight times a week in full view of the audience and there's nowhere you could kind of hide it. So there's, there's a, a lot of stuff I really love about theater. I think the interesting, when I think about props, it's kind of overwhelming because the skill set that you need is like so large. You don't learn one craft like lighting and you know the gear, like depending on what you need to make, you have to have a million different applications. And then with the onset of of you know 3d printing and technology this is a this is a craft that you're never on top of your game you have to be constantly learning right so tell us like what's your kind of scope of where you place props and and how's your approach to you know taking any kind of theater show or thing and how do you break that down and into applications etc yeah i mean that's a uh something i'm always practicing it's a lot of skills part of it is a lot of props people too, not just me. We we like the variety. We get bored if it's the same thing over and over again. And so we like uh, the opportunity to learn new things. And we, we just get really good at breaking down, you know, taking this massive list, all these props, all this furniture, just breaking it down into smaller and smaller tasks. You know, what am I going to build? What can I buy? What can I find? What can I borrow? Uh, and just further breaking it down, like, okay, I'm going to build it. What am I going to build it out of? Is this wood? Is it metal? Is it plastic? Uh, and, and just keep on doing that. Uh, I always tell my students it's kind of a built-in job security because there's so many other departments in theater that see when the rehearsal report comes out and there's like two pages of props notes and everybody else has like one note. Uh, everybody else kind of gets anxious about that, but the props person is like, oh, this is this is my jam. I'm going to start going through this list. I'm going to start crossing stuff out. So uh, in some ways, nobody else wants to ever deal with that. So if you like doing that, you're kind of a, a great props person. But yeah, I was just talking with my wife today about how I could go through all sorts of weird challenges and figure things out and do it all. But 
the the moment I have to do anything repetitive or uh, prescribed, I just sort of, you know, I stop and I take forever to kind of get through it. So I've, I've never been good in the, the scenic carpentry shops where you're building like the same thing over and over again, because I just, I slow down and I'm like overthinking everything and, and that. So uh, I've always been more comfortable in a prop shop where you, you know, the challenges you have to solve are different throughout the day, you know, things just keep changing. Do you still do stuff for, for film? Do you find there's a major difference working for theater or film or television? Um, I've only done a little bit, uh, not too much. I've always wanted to kind of get uh, more into it. The opportunities are a lot more limited. It seems like to do film, you kind of have to move out to L.A. Even when they do stuff around here, they're just bringing in L.A. people to kind of do it. So I've done some small film work. Um, you know, that's a much more, it's much more polished looking. It has to look really good. Uh, you usually need a lot of like backup options or options to change things on the fly. Uh, like with theater, you get, uh, it's a lot more forgiving because you're at a distance and the lights and everything, but it has to be a lot more uh, robust and consistent and actor friendly. You know, if something's not quite working in film, you could just, you know, put it off camera or quick change it really quick theater you know the actors out there with the prop and if uh you know if it's an umbrella and it's not closing then he, he, the actor's going to be out there trying to close it in front of an audience and uh struggling with it and there's nothing you could do until he figures out how to close it or improvs his way out of that scene so you kind of have to like figure everything out ahead of time uh, with theater and get it working consistently. And with film, you kind of uh, figure out all the different options you need and the backups you need and make it look really, really good uh, up close and, and go with that. So that's kind of what I found. And it's interesting that you say that because like, I mean, if uh, if you think about, you know, I don't know if you've looked at the Mandalorian where a lot of that now scenic stuff is being done by digital. The props are still there because they've got to be in the foreground. What are your thoughts on the advancement of, you know, maybe technology in film, but just generally, you know, in, in, in the prop world? I, you know, I love it. I, I especially love the Mandalorian, that virtual set they have. Uh, I've, it just blows me away because it's like they're finally returning to something that the actors can actually look at and grasp and it's kind of happening. You know, it's not in front of a green screen. It's not all, it is virtual, but it's something that's existing in the space at the same time. And so it really shows how important all these sort of physical elements are, you know, as, as much as digital has taken over everything, actors still need props. You know, they still respond to props. They can still react to props. If anything, there's uh, sort of more opportunities for props people nowadays because they need all of this stuff. So yeah, I always try to stay on top of all the technology. I had gotten the 3D printer a few years ago and never put it together. And then when the pandemic started and everything shut down and we were stuck in our house all the time, I finally put it together and I started learning it. And I started learning uh, 3D modeling too, which I had never really done and just kind of uh, took off from there. Because I actually was working on like a really small film project and I was planning to, you know, use a shop and do all this work. And then all of a sudden I couldn't. So I'm like, I'm going to teach myself 3D printing and print all the parts and assemble it at home, you know, where I can't uh, use 
chemicals and, and vacuum formers and table saws and all that sort of stuff. So a lot of uh, uh, film for sure has definitely been big on 3D printing, television. Uh, they've embraced it a lot because it lends itself to that. Theater has been a little slower, but more and more, you just hear about shops getting them and using them. You know, even even the the props masters who have been around for decades, even if they don't know how to use the 3D printer, they understand the importance and they get it for the shop and they hire people who do know how to use it and they figure out what it can be used for, what it's good for, what its advantages are, and also, you know, what it shouldn't be used for. And so even if they're not personally using it, it's integrated into their workflow and they could pick the projects that need to be 3D printed. So it's another thing I tell my students, a 3D printer is not going to replace uh, prop builders, but prop builders who know how to use 3D printers are going to replace prop builders who don't. So you always have to be up to date on all the technology and understand what it can and can't be used for and just know how to integrate it uh, in or who to hire to to put it all to work for you. I am so heartbroken because you didn't email me for 3D printing. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I know. I just kind of jumped in. Uh, I watched some like LinkedIn learning videos. It is very easy. Uh, to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was actually surprised at how easy it was. I put the machine together and I was printing in a few minutes and then getting the software. You know, that's the tricky part is the software. I could figure things out and get things printing and and then just sort of learning more and more how to use it, how to use it faster, how to use it better. But yeah, I was actually surprised. I, I think a lot of my uh, traditional skills kind of helped me out because as I figure out how uh, a 3D modeling uh, program, uh, how you draft in that, I'm remembering how I draft by hand and I remember sort of start thinking how I like lay out work if I'm doing a giant carpentry project or a metal project and how I have to lay it out finding the points in three-dimensional space connecting them figuring out how to cut angles that all translated really well to the 3d printing and um, a lot of like how I kind of you know design the shapes and and put them together and lay them out is I'm thinking of everything I know about all the other uh, materials, you know, I'm like, oh, this is, this is going to be weak. This is going to be, this is going to snap. I know that uh, this needs to be thicker here. This needs uh, some ribs or some supports here. So all my traditional skills were not lost when I started doing 3D printing. If anything, it helped it out. And now they're both just working together. I could be like, you know, this needs to be a table saw. This will be faster as paper mache. This should be 3D printed, you know, and I could have the 3D printer running while I'm doing the stuff that I actually like to do. And that's fun. You know, the 3D printer is actually doing the stuff that I hate to do, the boring things, the things that I'm really bad at. <laughs> and it's doing it at night while I'm sleeping. So it's actually, it works really well. <laughs> And like you said, the foundations are still the same. So you still got to need, you still got to have a, a good foundation in prop making to understand how that, whatever your 3D print is going to last, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have put a, a little list together of 3D printing resources. Uh, if you ever want to take a look at uh, self-promotion right here, but <laughs> I'm not an expert. 
I do though suggest it for water shows and we do have some people that like water shows around. So that was my outcome after some discussions. <laughs> do you have a um, favorite technique or material that, you, you know, you said you like to do the fun stuff. What is the fun stuff for you? Probably my most familiar technique is uh, wood and carpentry. That's how I got started. And I still, I always, when I was propping shows, I would always pick out furniture pieces that I would build because I, that's what I really liked doing was building furniture. If we're talking about like fun stuff that I want to get better at, it's probably uh, like sculpting and working in a more kind of organic dimensional kind of world. It's the kind of thing I've never had too much of an opportunity opportunity to do but I've always really enjoyed it when it came around so you know and a lot of a lot of it is because the shows I would work on uh, at triad stage and at the public theater they were very realistic shows so they had furniture but they didn't have like sculpted things you know we weren't doing uh, fantasy we weren't doing you know masks or animal shapes or that sort of thing it was very like uh, ashtrays and kitchen plates and tablecloths kind of shows and when I was at the opera where they did have very fantastical props, I was in the carpentry shop. So I was still doing the furniture and the, you know, sometimes the weapons, things like that. So I've always, I've had to kind of make up my own projects to kind of uh, uh, pursue any sort of uh, sculpting or things like that. So yeah, that I really enjoy that. I've actually, I've only recently kind of gotten better at painting. I've always ignored that but I've, I've been trying to do a lot more of that and I've really been enjoying like actually finishing a prop with a really nice paint job and see <laughs> you know what's what's actually possible um so I've been having a lot of fun with that too well that sounds very fun to me but you you have on your book and I know you can program stuff and, and work with uh, Raspberry Pi and Arduinos and all this kind of electronics. And you also do like special effects with hydraulics and air effects and all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, that's also been really fun. <laughs> I get to teach a class in special effects every year uh, where we go through that whole thing. And um, I get, you know, I, I get to play with it a little bit. I think I started doing pneumatics. It was actually at Shakespeare in the Park. They needed a little, it was a funerary urn and they wanted the uh, comical actor to knock it over and this cloud of dust to come out. It was supposed to be the king. It was a funny scene, but uh, they wanted a big cloud of dust. So we weren't getting that just by knocking it over. So I uh, figured out how to build this little uh, self-contained air uh, blower that would blow the dust into the air. And that was triggered when it was knocked over. So I figured that out and did it. And I was like, well, this is, you know, Again, it's like the concept is easy. The execution is difficult, but I, I understand what I need to do. So I've done a couple other things, uh, you know, like blood cannons and uh, more dust kind of tricks and things like that. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun. Just this past uh, winter, because there's nothing going on and everything's dark, uh, my wife and I approached the, uh, again, triad stage, they're dark. We approached them about doing an animated window display in their window for the holidays. Both of us had worked in New York at some companies that do that kind of work for like Macy's and Saks Fifth Avenue. So we built this little miniature cityscape with all these people that were all kind of moving. So I got to uh, build all these, it was, it was 3D printed bodies that had servos inside of them. And then we uh, 
my wife mostly hand sculpted faces on top of them. And, and we made these little clothes out of felt. And it was actually, it was, I had an Arduino light strip, but uh, the servos themselves were uh, Pololu uh, robotic servo controllers, which are really easy to just kind of like program on the computer and stick in there. So they're all like kind of move in. And um, it was fun because it was like a good, socially distanced project and it kept people were looking in the window at the theater because you know nobody could go in the theater and see a show but this actually allowed the theater to have something to show people even if it wasn't selling tickets and it got us able to do some work some actually like building something and creating something and not just you know attending endless zoom meetings and growing ever more anxious about the state of our industry is there a lot of talk in your industry or in, in your world about you know being a little bit more greener or uh, sustainable and if so what's what's the discussion there yeah there's a i've heard uh, some of my colleagues over in the uk they're really big on this right now so they're definitely talking about greener in in the prop shops, uh, different materials to use, better practices, uh, more recycling, reusing. Uh, around in New York, the Broadway Green Alliance started up, uh, I want to say about 10 years ago already, maybe even more. And they kind of had a mission to uh, have green initiatives on Broadway. And, you know, they're like with props, we are already reusing so much none of us throw anything away we recycle so many things but you know there's still waste and there's still practices that could always be better you know they still do workshops they have a program where any any theater uh can kind of sign up and get their kind of you know green package uh somebody is like a green captain on in the theater and they're you know given uh information of what to do you know things like reusable water bottles uh, uh, recycling the set, uh, all sorts of different tips and tricks and tactics. And they do it for colleges too. So a college theater program could have a green captain uh, uh, sort of interfacing with the Broadway Green Alliance. And then in New York, one of the big uh, scene shops, Showman Fabricators, they were their head was a big part of the Broadway Green Alliance. So they were doing some, some uh, on a much larger scale, some initiatives. So they had a at least at that time, they had a program where for, for not too much more money, if you were like getting your set built at Showman Fabricators and you, you wanted it to be green, they would build it in a way so that it would go to the theater, they would use it for however long it was, and then Showman Fabricators would pick it up at the end and disassemble it and recycle and reuse as much as possible and tell basically tell the producers like how much was reduced and reused rather than what they usually do is they just you know load a dumpster up right on 42nd street and throw everything away or they bring it up to connecticut hold on to it for 18 months and then throw it away so that's really good because a lot of you know a lot of going green is you have to plan it ahead and you have to have it as part of the entire process, you know, you can't recycle a set if you built it, you know, with 
glues and glue and nails and and there's no way you could actually disassemble it but if you plan ahead of time you could build it in a way so it's kind of broken down into like component materials and you know maybe there's uh sheets of wood you can still use or pieces of wood you could still use or maybe the metal is bolted together instead of welded at certain points so you could still use the components and uh uh you know, using uh, greener materials or using materials that could be recycled because like steel can be recycled pretty much endlessly. Wood can be reused, but not really recycled and uh, uh, plastics can't really be recycled. So just thinking of the entire from start to finish the whole planning thing. So yeah. And, you know, I would say for the, definitely for the past 10 or so years, our industry has been kind of thinking of that you know the the actual adoption is a bit slower than most of us would like but there's still uh, lots of talk about that i want to go back a little bit to the window you were talking about the the display and just tie it with with animatronics and this idea of starting to introduce things that i don't know like that world that it's in between automation and props there's little things that are automated, but won't really fall under automation. And they're a little bit more than props. Right. Like animatronics. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, UNCSA is starting up an animatronics program and it is kind of a, a marriage between props, uh, automation, and then like, you know, wigs and makeup and costumes even, which is why our school is kind of doing it because we already have a lot of the uh, the groundwork laid for it. But yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and it's happening a lot because so many of the components and uh, equipment and, and things just in the last, I, I don't know, 40 years, 30 years, have shrank in size so much, have gained so many capabilities and have become so incredibly cheap. So you look at like the early days of Walt Disney where they're, they have, you know, highly trained machinists who are creating these one of a kind moving, you know, Abraham Lincoln president for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, and you look at that and it's actually it, uh, the, the ability of that pales in comparison to what you could get on Amazon in two days on Prime with like an Arduino and a couple of servos and like a 3D printer. So, um, you know, when you look online, especially at the cosplay community, people are building like animatronic Iron Man suits and they're like completely untrained and they're just figuring it out. And it's, you know, it costs like less than a thousand dollars for this entire suit. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's, um, you know, if you understand where the industry has come from, it's really amazing, like just how uh, accessible and affordable and, and amazing all of these different components have become and how much they just continue to advance. And, and the fact that there's such a large uh, open hobbyist community out there so that you could get any sort of uh, help you need or information you need, you know, it's again, like, if we didn't have the internet and you were programming a microprocessor and you wanted to know like, how do I make it work with these LEDs? You have to like 
get a book out or find a magazine or call somebody. And now you can just kind of type in everything you own. And it's like, oh, hey, there's a tutorial telling me exactly how to wire it up and how to do it. And now I, I can skip all that and do it and figure out like one more cool thing to do with that. And I could put that online and teach everybody else how to do it too. So I'd imagine that's just going to get more and more used, you know, all over, especially in like any sort of uh, live uh, exhibits, you know, museum displays, uh, retail windows, anything like that, but also film, television, and probably theater at a certain point. Again, if you're just doing like the sort of traditional theater canon of a bunch of people sitting around in a living room, you don't have much need for an animatronic. But if the kind of theater itself changes to genres that can use different kind of animatronics, then we will uh, see a lot more of it. Where can the audience uh, get your books or see what you write, listen to a podcast? Sure. My my books are sold everywhere. Uh, so you can get them on Amazon or order them from any book. I like to suggest people order them from their indie bookstore, that their local indie bookstore, or you could buy it directly from the publisher. They're they're always having sales and free shipping, and they ship pretty quick. So it's uh, uh, Rutledge is the uh, publisher. All my stuff is kind of at my website. It's eric-hart.com, and from there you could go to my blog. Uh, hasn't been updated too much recently, but again, hopefully, and uh my podcast is there as well. And that's silk flowers and paper mache hearts.com. And that could be found on like Apple iTunes and uh, Google play and, and all the kind of podcast services. Cool. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Eric. Well, thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There is a link in our podcast description where you can send us your requests and guest nominations. Theater Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcast episodes for free. If you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast notes. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theater Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theaterartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre at Life podcast.